Welcome to this MGMA Industry Insights Podcast. I'm Craig Weberg, Senior Editor with MGMA. Today I'm joined by Doral Jacobson, Chief Executive Officer at Prosper Beyond, and Aaron Cohen, Principal and Healthcare Co-Practice Leader with Citroen Cooperman. Today we're going to talk about the total cost of care and what it means for medical practices. Before we get going, could both of you tell us a little bit about your backgrounds? Thanks, Craig. Uh, yep, Doral Jacobson. I'm with Prosper Beyond out of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I have spent the better part of my career assisting medical providers, um, physician groups, laboratories, hospital systems across the country with um, value-based reimbursement and also payment reform. So from a cost perspective, I I am actively involved with helping uh, folks figure out what their uh, cost of care is, how that plays into many decisions that they're making, not only from a contractual perspective, um, but just from a, an operational perspective. And and really um, excited today to share a little bit of what we've learned in our experiences with providers across the country grappling with uh, healthcare cost issues. So, um, again, my name is Aaron Cohen. I'm a a principal and co-practice leader uh, of the healthcare practice uh, at Citrin Cooperman. Um, I really do work with healthcare providers uh, across the continuum of care uh, with a strong emphasis on physician practices and and hospitals and and health systems. I'm really involved with a number of uh, strategic and financial consulting uh, projects for uh, organizations that are looking at uh, really how to position themselves to be successful uh, moving forward, in particular given the uh, the changes in the reimbursement land- landscape. So I do a lot of what I'll call physician alignment strategy work, where I'm, I'm helping physicians to think about how they may want to work together with other physicians or uh, with uh, hospitals and health systems. Uh, I'm involved with different types of service line collaborations and providing guidance to uh, physicians and hospitals and others in terms of um, arrangements meant to to better uh, care for the population um, uh, at hand. Uh, So ACOs, uh, clinically integrated networks, uh, and even thinking about creating commercial insurance products. Okay, fantastic. Well, it sounds like that experience is going to be come in real hand, handy today for our total cost of care discussion. Doral and Aaron, uh, I'd like to start with you guys defining what you mean by total cost of care. What is total cost of care? Okay, so I'll, I'll start there. Um, you know, total cost of care, interestingly, could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so I think it is important that we start, uh, you know, w- w- with that definition. Um, when we're talking about total cost of care, what we're really talking about is for a, a given patient population, the overall cost of that care uh, to, uh, to actually to the payers. So when we're saying what's the total cost of care, for instance, uh, with MACRA, or other Medicare uh, types of programs, what we're really talking about is the cost of care for those Medicare patients to Medicare. So a lot of times I think physicians, when they hear the terminology total cost of care, they're thinking to themselves, well, I know how much, you know, the, the cost, you know, I, I know what the cost of care is for the patients that I see. You know, I, I have my profit and loss statement. 
you know, I, I know what it is that, that we're spending per patient. Uh, and so, you know, it's not a complicated topic. But in, in reality, when we're talking about total cost of care and, and when uh, that term is, is really being used in terms of value-based care, what we're talking about is the overall cost for the patients that are being seen uh, by a physician practice, not just in that physician practice, but everywhere that they're actually uh, receiving care. So it's, uh, it, I think it's important to keep in mind that total cost of care really is the overall cost for a, a given patient population uh, across uh, all different providers that, pr that are providing care to them. And Aaron, if I could just add, um, add a little bit to that, I, I think on the the macro side, total cost of care, for example, there are a couple different slices to that. One of them certainly is what Aaron, what you were just describing on the the cost for the beneficiary for uh, total cost of care for the entire performance period. But there are some other pieces that we see in uh, in the um, in the CMS world and the Medicare world and also the commercial world. Uh, cost of care for episodes of care. So these could be tied to something like a knee replacement, for example. Um, so we can think about total cost of care from an episode perspective and then also from a, uh, a total per capita cost perspective. Um, and on the commercial side, it, it's really not too different. Uh, one of the things that is a little different is that we often see pharmacy costs introduced on the commercial side, where right now in the quality payment program, Part D is not a part of that cost computation. Um, however, in the future, we, we may see that land as an area of focus for us. And Doral, I think that's a really good point, that when we talk about total cost of care, it really has to be measured based upon, um, you know, the, um, the, the actual arrangement that we're talking about. So if we're talking about total cost of care, uh, for uh, a given patient population for a year, let's say, for a, an accountable care organization. It is all cost throughout that entire year. But if we're really looking on an episode basis, it would be all the costs associated with that episode of care. So that, that, that's a very good point. Can you tell us a little bit about why it's important for physicians out there to be aware of this and to be aware of that total cost of care? So I'll, I'll start by saying some of the, the big rocks that, that we're all aware of intellectually for sure, and, and they're really the following. Um, you know, one, we all know that we're spending more per capita than other countries, but, but we're no healthier. Um, and then also we have a rapidly aging population. I, I recently read that there are around 10,000 uh, individuals becoming Medicare eligible on a daily basis. So... Uh, we're spending a lot, and then we've got a rapidly aging population. And then, of course, we've got the affordability crisis, right? Um, I just read recently the Medicare Board of Trustees is reporting that the hospital trust fund won't have enough funds to pay for all covered services by 2026. Now, what's really interesting there is that's three years sooner than we thought. Uh, so we're running out of, uh, of funds there. Um, and then the other piece is perfect storm in my mind is that we are also looking at a potential shortage on the clinician side. Um, the American Medical Colleges reports that it could be as much as 120,000 by 2030. So tremendous access issues. So it's really the perfect 
perfect storm from an economic perspective and an access perspective. So at a high level, you know, that's, that's certainly out there. Um, and then how it gets real personal on the provider side is that we have all these programs rolling out to try to combat this. Um, on the Medicare side, we have our quality payment program, which MACRA gave us. And in those categories that are the quality payment program, one of them is cost. And, you know, Aaron and I have these conversations pretty regularly where this is the, a big deficit for us. We don't really look at this information. Um, even CMS, you know, it was weighted at zero and then 10%. And now in the proposed rule, it is weighted at 15% for the quality payment program. So you can see this is ramping up. Um, and what's really interesting is that of all of the different measures in the quality payment program, this is the one that no one reports. This is all extrapolated on the back end through claims data. So there's no selecting a measure that um, your system can handle and you're, you're doing pretty well and your processes are set up to uh, perform well in a measure. These are all things that are happening on the back end. So in our mind, it's a, it's a really big, big lever. Um, and then, you know, so from a, uh, just a revenue perspective on the clinician side, we could have two providers essentially within a mile of each other being paid differently for Medicare beneficiaries. We could have a provider being paid 95% of Medicare and then one being paid 109% of Medicare. So if your practice has Medicare as a significant part of your payer mix, this is a tremendous economic impact. So, so that, that's one piece from the, the micro side here. And then also on the commercial side, really the same thing is happening. On the payer side, they're developing narrow networks and products around the same things that CMS is looking at. High quality, low cost providers are the practices that are getting uh, volume in steerage. So really, it's going to impact your market share from a practice perspective. You'll either be in networks or out of networks, in products or out of products. And, and the patient might have a higher cost share if they use a provider that's not in that, um, that narrow network, per se. Um, and then on the other side, there, uh, there's a lot of impact from a negotiation perspective. If you... You know, and I help practices all day long negotiate value-based arrangements, and this is a big part of the discussion is where are we from a quality and cost perspective? So it, it's, going to, um, it's going to be a factor in your leverage from a, a payer negotiation perspective, so on all fronts here. So really kind of two big things of why. One is from a global economic perspective, it, it's something we need to be focusing on. And then it impacts the provider bottom line. So those are, those are kind of two big things that I'm kind of thinking of as we're talking, Craig. Aaron, you have anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I basically, you know, would look at this as, you know, having two primary uh, areas that, that really are going to impact physicians. First of all, with their with their revenue, and I think that you know, to maybe even be more blunt than than Doral was, you know, it, at times some of the um, you know, value-based care arrangements, you know, will have an allocation um, of the um, 
of, of how well you're doing, um, you know, if it's out of 100%, you know, 50% for quality. Uh, I think the big issue there is that sometimes quality measures can actually be selected and uh, organizations can start to do a very good job making sure they do well on those measures. Cost is much harder to be able to manipulate. And uh, in the end, based upon everything that Doral was explaining in terms of the, the crisis, in terms of the cost of healthcare, which, which everybody certainly knows about, in the end, we need to reduce cost. And so this cost of care component, uh, you know, we think is going to be uh, particularly important um, moving forward because policymakers are going to view it as being the most important end goal. Being sure quality is high, but certainly the need to reduce cost. Uh, and, and frankly, cost is not very malleable. Uh, and as a result, there's more of a reason to sort of look at that as being an important factor. The other aspect of it, and one that uh, you know, I focus on quite a bit, is you know, the, the attractiveness of uh, physician practices to other organizations in the market. It, it's more and more going to be tied to you know, how efficient uh, and low cost those, those providers are. So, you know, if you have a CIN or an ACO that, that uh, is being created, you know, fundamentally, the, the goal is to provide high-quality care for a patient population at the lowest, the lowest cost to create shared savings. And, um, you know, as, as Doral mentioned, in terms of negotiating with payers even, you know, with a CIN, you're going to want to be able to go to that payer and say, look, here are all the providers that I'm working with. They are very high-quality, very low-cost providers. And for that reason, we're the right organization or the, you know, the, the right network for you, the pair, to really want to work with, to invest in, and to you know, develop a, a really strong relationship with. So the, the, the reasons for why this is important to physicians, you know, total cost of care, really are, are really, you know, they're huge, and I think they're going to grow over time. I would guess that people that are already inside a clinically integrated network or inside a health system have a little bit probably get some access to some cost of care reports because they have more access to kind of that whole global treatment. What about uh, providers who are not already entered into some value-based agreements or some organizational structures that give them access to understanding what their part of the total cost of care is? Do you have any uh, recommendations for providers, you know, that don't already have access to the total cost of care information or their contribution to the total cost of care? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Craig. And, and I think this is, um, this is kind of wide open. Um, now, there are a couple of places that clinicians can look for this information. Um, and one is, is CMS, actually. You can, anybody, and it's free, can log on to their CMS portal and obtain what's called a quality and resource use report. Um, this is the predecessor to the quality payment program, but the data is available and it's very rich and it's at the provider beneficiary level and it's very detailed and, and can give you insight into what your practice total cost of care looks like and, and what the key drivers are. So um, really clinicians across the country have access to that information and can pull it down from the, the CMS portal. Um, on the commercial side, many commercial payers also provide this data. Now, you, you have to ask for it, 
Um, and we'll talk more in our session about some of the lingo to use here. But, you know, really from a payer perspective, it's in their best interest to share this information to really further their objectives, which are to bend the cost curve as well. So a lot of times that information is available. It's just understanding what to ask for. Um, and then I've, I've had a lot of practices reaching out to their, their hospital partners, for example. I had an orthopedic surgery practice that asked for um, not really total cost of care data, but some information around how their length of stay compares to others. So I think we can, we can look to our payer partners, but then also others in the market who can give us some 360 information. Um, and I think one of the pieces that's, uh, that we're starting to see practices really look at is, is market intelligence. Uh, I, for example, I have a, a large primary care practice as a client, and um, one of the stories that their, their president always tells when we're talking to payers is the MRI story. So she'll say, um, I know that if I go to Imaging Center A, that the, the uh, cost is going to be $450 for this MRI. But if I send the patient to Imaging Center B, the cost is $1,500. I know that, and I get to make the decision. So I know I'm bending the cost curve. So it's looking at your total cost of care and then figuring out when you're shopping for services for your population, what does that mean? And, and is there any ability for you to impact that? Um, and then, of course, we do see some transparency sites that are providing some information. You know, this is really different um, across the country. You know, I'm in the fine state of North Carolina, and we have um, Blue Cross of North Carolina actually publishes costs for 1,100 elective procedures um, on their website. That's, uh, and it's not just limited to uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield members, but anybody can look at that. Uh, and, and then there are, and we'll talk about this more in our session, but there are um, lots of folks trying to figure out this transparency equation and provide that kind of intelligence so that we can start to be, make more informed decisions. Um, and then the other thing is once you, once you gather that data and gather that information, it really, the best practices, the ones that we see really pushing the envelope and making some good strides, are sharing that information with the clinicians. Because those are the folks that many times we, we don't get down to that level. This data gets stuck somewhere in the middle. But providing that kind of granular information at the clinician level to the providers, that's really, in my practice, that's where I see really all of the magic happen. Um, so gathering that data and then sharing that information and really kind of attacking it from an analytical and a clinical clinical perspective uh, really seem to, um, that's what the recipe we see from a best practice perspective forming in, in folks that are really paying attention here. Um, I'll turn it over to Aaron for further comments. Yeah, sure. So, I, yeah, I think Doral did a nice job providing an overview. Just one other area that I would uh, also focus on is that you know, obviously, the most expensive uh, care that's provided is provided in, in the hospital setting. And so when you're looking at ways to, you know, as, as a provider, uh, to, to really try to reduce the, the cost of care for your patient population, you're inevitably going to have a, a, a significant amount of your attention paid to 
the cost in the hospital. And there uh, really are more and more organizations um, you know, around the country and states that are aggregating data uh, for hospitals to be able to uh, allow you to look and to see, okay, for, for this uh, inpatient procedure, what is the cost at my five local hospitals? And to be able to compare between each of them, which is powerful in terms of understanding you know, where you're uh, referring patients. And, and even if you're a primary care physician, you know, knowing which specialists are likely to, to bring their patients to those uh, facilities. So uh, you know, we, we've seen states like Maryland uh, with, with the Health Services Cost Review Commission and uh, New York, with the statewide planning and research uh, cooperative system, for instance, uh, really starting to to provide that level of of data to allow providers to to have a better idea of, of you know when they're thinking about referring, uh, you know w- where maybe the best place is to refer based on a quality and a and a cost perspective. And Aaron, you know, you just I just am remembering now the whole care first. Story, which is, you know, really so uh, so much in line with MIPS. Where, and correct me if when I'm wrong here, but isn't that data made available to the primary care physicians, the cost data, and then the they determine whether or not they want to refer uh, to you know whatever providers there are in the network. But then, depending on where they are from a cost and quality perspective, it actually translates. To what their fee schedule, what their reimbursement will be, with um, with Anthem in that market. So it's it's very similar to MIPS, and, and I want to say it, it was bending the cost curve somewhere between two to three percent in that market, and it was purely this this um, providing the information and then uh, seeing where the referrals actually go. Um, you know, once providers are make have that. Have that other piece of the equation, which is the cost of care. <clears throat> yeah, no, that, that right? you you have got that right. Uh, care First, uh, which is uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield for Maryland, D.C., Northern Virginia, has been very effective in, in terms of providing primary care physicians with detailed information as to the total cost of care for their patients. They've been so effective, in fact, that you're seeing and I'm seeing physician practices being far more savvy in terms of, you know, being willing to, to refer somebody even to their local hospital. Uh, so I, you know, I, I have situations where I may work with a hospital in, in a given area where the physician practices in the area are telling them, look, you know, we're not going to send our patients to get an endoscopy in your facility anymore. You know, we've had our discussion with Care First. They've provided us the cost data to compare what it costs to have the endoscopy in your hospital versus an endoscopy suite a couple miles away. And the cost differential is so big that, you know, we can't possibly send to you. Uh, and, and that's having a huge impact on the hospitals that are then saying, you know, should we pro- be providing these services in the hospital or should we be looking at uh, creating outpatient services that are going to be more attractive to the physician. So Care First is a great example of an organization that is doing a good job in terms of providing the types of information that will actually impact the decisions of the, of the providers. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, what I read is the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association actually is that very methodology might likely be deployed really across the country. I want to say I read like 29 geographies are targeted for that type of rollout. So yeah, there's more, more reason to, to get our arms around this, right? Well, it sounds like some of these systems that are in place are actually working and working quite well. I was interested, you know, how this communication gets out. Like, who's involved in gathering, disseminating, and utilizing this information? What does that process look like? You know, my, my experience is that uh, generally what will happen is that the, um, a lot of this is, is uh, pursuant to the managed care contracting uh, that's done and the, and the constant, uh, you know, sort of back and forth between the providers and the payers. And so the, it, it is typically the practice administrator or the, the lead physician that's getting that information uh, first. Now, we were just talking about Care First. Care First does a nice job of summarizing this cost data such that it's generally then shared with the uh, physicians at the practice. Uh, but I, I think it would be helpful to hear from Doral in terms of, you know, in her experience with her clients, you know, what the process is of, okay, the, the information starts with the practice administrator or, or the uh, individual that's doing the managed care contracting, but then the process for how it sort of filtrates through the rest of the practice. Sure, sure. And, and what I see is that there's someone, um, sometimes it's in the billing department or in the managed care department, depending on the size of the practice, they're pulling that information down from the payer portal. Um, or, or, or the payer may be providing them reports on a weekly basis, um, but they are pulling that down electronically. And then usually there's a physician champion that's identified to work um, in a, it really kind of as a dyad with the administrator. Or if it's a larger practice, what we see is what I think is going to be one of the new hot jobs in our industry. And that is um, someone who's got a clinical background who also has an analytical skill set like a, an infomaticist, if you will, on the ambulatory side. So my larger clients have many times their nurses who they've gone to Excel school, if you will, analytic school. And it's those three individuals, the executive leader of the organization, um, a physician champion, and then um, someone who brings it all together on the analytical side, looking at that information. And then it is, um, it is you know, something that's discussed, it's a, an agenda item on the, at the board meeting. Or if it's a larger organization, there might be a group that's actually steering the efforts. Um, I have a, a really large client right now, and we have a whole focus group working on one of the episodes of care, and, and that's exactly what we have. We have analytics, and we have a physician champion, and there are about 20 of us that get together to look at this cost data on a monthly basis. Um, and it's actually being distilled by that physician champion to the other physicians. So that's how we see it work on the, on the clinic side. Those types of individuals um, identified, pulling it down directly from the payer. You know, and I'll share one other insight, and that is, is really, it can be very frustrating. This data is not all that easy uh, to get your arms around. So the analytics person's key. They, they might need to have phone calls with the payer to have them walk through things. 
Um, but in my experience, I have seen that that work rather well, um, as long as you have the right skill sets involved. So that's that's how it flows. That's what we see. You know, with so many things, it's you've got to be able to get the information gathered correctly and delivered at the right time. And I think that's exactly what you're discussing here. So that'll be interesting to me to see how that progresses and what that looks like. It sounds like there could be a great article written just about that process. How do physicians go about reducing the cost of care? I can share a couple of insights. Um, this is what we see our, our clients doing, the ones that are really focusing on this. Uh, first, of course, is understanding the data, getting that information and working with their clinical staff and analytics staff. Um, but there are some resources that uh, we see folks using that are specialty specific that um, provide information around how to avoid waste, unnecessary um, testing, procedures by specialty, and we'll share a little bit more about that in our session. Um, we also see folks ramping up the preventive care side of the equation, um, uh, really focused on lots of screenings and um, making sure that they're billing for these um, pieces of work as well. Uh, transition of care coordination, that's another big one, is, is reducing readmission. So all of these pieces that we're doing on the Part B side, on the physician side, really impactful from a reduction from a total cost of care perspective. So some of these things that we're already uh, working towards, really um, uh, fine-tuning that focus can reduce total cost of care. And then there, you know, there are the other things, risk stratifying patients, you know, triaging folks appropriately. I have um, uh, a, a practice that I work with where um, they have a, a hit list of, of patients that if these 25 individuals call their practice, they will see them on the same day because they know they're at high risk for going to the ED. So making those kinds of uh, workflows apparent in your practice, uh, we see, we see um, being very effective as well. And then of course, and we'll talk about this more in our session, uh, patient engagement strategies, because we can do everything right, but if we don't have our patient engagement strategy in place and, and understand the, the best things that we can do to uh, ensure that um, we're doing all that we can to assist these individuals, um, that's the uh, that's another piece that we see practices working on. So, you know, one of the things that I would I would say here, and I'm curious to see what Aaron uh, has to share on on this note, is that it's really difficult. This process of really moving into this new space, we've got to be careful to make sure that we're compensated appropriately. We're changing our service mix. We are not doing as many procedures. We're we're not having as many, many patients aren't being admitted to the hospital. So this shift to these other settings and caring for our populations in a more holistic way, um, and actually even spending money on non-traditional things like providing transportation to a patient that might not otherwise make it into the clinic in order to avoid an ED admission. Um, how is that going to be compensated? Providing educational materials to um, to uh, an individual, a new diabetic, for example. How how are we gonna 
how are we going to do all of these things and make sure that we can still keep the lights on? So it's very, it's very delicate because we're kind of cannibalizing one thing and uh, really doing some great work on the other side. So it's a very delicate balance as we continue to work on the cost side of the equation. And, and it, it's really very tricky. And we see lots of pra uh, practices uh, trying different things um, on the negotiation side as well. I mean, that's another thing we see providers doing is talking to their payer partners about uh, sharing in the savings that are created through a lot of the things that I just talked about. Um, but it's a, it's a delicate balance and, and one that we, um, that we see our clients uh, struggle with on a daily basis. Yeah, I think one of them, and I think this is a really important point, is that fundamentally, physician practices in particular, to some extent, they can only do but so much when we're looking at total cost of care. And that's why I think you see so many more uh, collaborations and affiliations and different types of uh, partnerships between providers you know, across the continuum of care. Because once a, once a patient leaves the physician's office, uh, you know, that physician, um, you know, there, there's sort of a limit to what that physician is going to be able to do to help them once that person's at that next level of care. You know, whether that's a primary care physician that then sees their patient go to a specialist or, you know, going to get a, a, a procedure at the, at the hospital. Uh, and so uh, one of the suggestions, you know, that I would have is, the, the ability to partner with, with progressive organizations that are really being very thoughtful and, and forward thinking about how to provide the right care in the right setting at the right cost. So I think that that, you know, th those sorts of partnerships, whether they're service line oriented uh, between uh, you know, specialists and, and, and the hospital or between primary care physicians and, and specialists or primary care physicians in the hospital, there are lots of opportunities to make sure that when patients are, are leaving one setting of care, that they're receiving the right care uh, at the right cost, the right setting. I think the other aspect, and I, and I know that, that Dora was hitting on this, was uh, physician compensation. It's very hard to, to really help physicians to look at the long term in terms of reducing cost of care while um, you know, really taking into account the fact that a good, you know, very strong percentage of their revenue is still based on fee for service. And so how do you compensate uh, physicians in a way that looks both to the long term and the, uh, and the short term? And uh, really striking that right balance, which, you know, we'll, we'll spend more time talking about in our uh, program. I think that that really goes a long way, uh, you know, in terms of incentivizing physicians uh, you know, to, to try to reduce the total cost of care. I know that transition is so tricky. You know, where's that, where's the tipping point between the fee for service and the value-based contracts to really make the difference? So I, I, I can definitely hear what you're saying, Aaron. What are, what are some implications for reducing the cost of care? What bottom line, I guess, is why should physicians and their administrators really jump into this in thinking about and reducing the cost of care? Well, that's a good question. That's a big question. Um, you know, I, I think fundamentally, it's, th th there are a couple answers. Number one, that's where I believe, at least, that healthcare is going. 
We fundamentally have to provide the best possible services we can, but also at a reduced cost for the patient population. There's just no way for costs to continue to go up at the same rate that they have been going up. And uh, without really thinking about total cost of care and making that a, a, a sizable portion of you know, the way that uh, providers are looked at, um, both from a reimbursement perspective, but also a quality perspective, I, I, I think that we're simply going to run out of money. Um, so, you know, at a high level, that, that's, that's, you know, point number one. I, I think that the other aspect is that with all the consolidation that you're seeing in the healthcare industry, which, you know, my experience and, and, and my belief is that will con- that, that consolidation will continue, that what will happen over time is progressively you're going to see you know, bigger organizations that are really charged with uh, taking care of a patient population and will will be um, rewarded to the extent that they can take care of that patient population as efficiently as possible. I, I think that consolidation is the first step uh, in some of these large-scale uh, enterprises where you're going to have uh, premium dollars being paid in and the, the providers are going to be successful based upon how uh, they, they care for the patient such that the uh, provider, the, the, I'm sorry, the premium dollars are higher than the actual cost uh, of care. So uh, all, all, you know, th- where we are right now is really, I think, towards the beginning of, you know, moving towards that end point where Providers are going to have to be thoughtful about their total cost of care you know, for their patients so that they are in the future going to be successful uh, under the, the health care reimbursement uh, system. And I think that, you know, when it comes to uh, really um, looking at physician compensation and the ability to work with the right partners and to be part of the, the right networks, I mean, all, all of that is going to be based in large part around doing the right things for patients and providing care in the most efficient way. So I think that across a, a variety of different areas that, and really moving towards the future, uh, that if physicians are not taking total cost of care into account, that they are very likely uh, to struggle um, you know, mo- moving into the future. Okay. There's so many other things I could ask. Uh, we're, we're getting up against our time. Is there anything else that you guys would like to share with the listeners today? Come to our session. There's more <laughs> where this came from. I'd like to thank you both so much for this great discussion. Before we close, I'd like to point out that Doral and Aaron will be sharing more insights like these during their session on October 2nd at the MGMA 2018 Annual Conference in Boston titled Macro Plus, Getting Arms Around Cost. To learn more about joining us in Boston, visit mgma.com slash Boston. Doral and Aaron, thank you very much for your insights today. No, thank you. This is great. Yes, thank you.